Hi, I'm Dan Jones. And I'm Mia Lee, and we are the editors of Modern Love at The New York Times and co-hosts of the Modern Love podcast. We read love stories for a living. And by love stories, we mean essays written by real people about all forms of human connection. We're talking about everything from first dates to funerals, from sibling rivalries to new love at 85. On our show, we're going to bring those stories to life. We'll hear from the writers and also from the people who are written about. Relationships are the most important things in our lives. And the people that tell us their stories are just so brave, like way braver than I think I am most of the time. Yeah. They're so honest and so vulnerable. And listening to the stories, I feel like you absorb so much wisdom and you get a sense that you're not alone. You can follow Modern Love wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. We hope you'll join us. New episodes are out every Wednesday. From the New York Times, I'm Michael Barbaro. This is The Daily. Today. Senator Al Franken reluctantly steps down. What it tells us that his own party made him do it. It's Friday, December 8th. Mr. President. Senator from Minnesota. Thank you, Mr. President. Thursday was one of the most dramatic days in Washington in a long time. It felt like James Comey's testimony. Mm. Everyone knew that something big was going to happen. Yamish Alcindor has been reporting on sexual harassment in Congress. You didn't know what time it was going to happen, but you knew that Senator Al Franken, who had been facing weeks of pressure to resign, was going to be making this announcement. And he gets to the Senate floor and everyone's kind of hushed and trying to figure out what he's going to say. A couple months ago... I felt that we had entered an important moment in the history of this country. And he starts by talking as if he is just giving a regular one-minute floor speech. We were finally beginning to listen to women about the ways in which men's actions affect them. The moment was long overdue. He's talking about the moment and the fact that women have been speaking out and that the nation's been talking about sexual harassment. I was excited for that conversation and hopeful that it would result in real change that made life better for women all across the country and in every part of our society. Then the conversation turned to me. Over the last few weeks, a number of women have come forward to talk about how they felt my actions had affected them. I was, I was shocked. I was upset. But in responding to their claims, I also wanted to be respectful of that broader conversation because all women deserve to be heard and their experiences taken seriously. I think that was the right thing to do. I also think it gave some people the false impression that I was admitting to doing things that, in fact, I haven't done. This doesn't sound like a lawmaker who believes that he should be resigning. There's no question that Al Franken didn't think that he should resign. Some of the allegations against me are simply not true. Others I remember very differently. He 
throughout the entire speech was saying that he was not guilty of the things that people thought of him. He said, I have been a champion for women. I know there's been a very different picture of me painted over the last few weeks, but I know who I really am. And then finally gets around to saying, Nevertheless, today I am announcing that in the coming weeks, I will be resigning as a member of the United States Senate. And that was the moment that everyone was waiting for. Serving in the United States Senate has been the great honor of my life. I know in my heart that nothing I have done as a senator, nothing, has brought this honor on on this institution. And I am confident that the Ethics Committee would agree. And I thought that that was really a big moment because he's saying, if I was given a chance to have due process, the Ethics Committee would have cleared me. So essentially he's saying, I'm being pushed out by my own party. So I think he was also in some ways really mad at the Democratic Party, and that came through pretty strongly. I said at the outset that the Ethics Committee was the right venue for these allegations to be heard and investigated and evaluated on their merits. So, given everything you've just said, why is Franken resigning? How did we get here? In mid-November, a radio host came out and essentially said that Al Franken had forcibly groped her. It happened so fast, and he just mashed his, his lips against my face, and he stuck his tongue in my mouth so fast. A new woman is coming forward this morning to say that Senator Al Franken groped her years ago. That snowballed into something like six women accusing Al Franken of groping them while he was taking pictures with them. Uh, During a photo op, she said, when he put his arm around me, he groped my right breast. He kept his hand all the way over on my breast. And I remember thinking, is he going to move his hand? Was it an accident? Was he going to move his hand? And as the pressure mounted, we saw John Conyers, the longest-serving House Democrat, resign. After weeks of pressure, a flood of sexual harassment accusations, and escalating calls from top Democrats to resign his seat, Congressman John Conyers had nowhere left to go. I am retiring today. And as a result, people started turning to Al Franken and saying, well, when is he going to go? Politico was first to report a seventh woman has come forward accusing Franken of sexual misconduct. A former Democratic aide telling Politico Franken tried to forcibly kiss her, saying it was his, quote, right as an entertainer. And Wednesday, it came to a head when a woman came out and said he forcibly tried to kiss me when I was packing up to leave during his radio show. And now an eighth woman tells The Atlantic Franken groped her, too. And as a result, that kind of, I really, I think, was a tipping point for a lot of Democratic women. Enough is enough. I mean, this is a conversation we've been having for a very long time. And it's a conversation that this country needs to have. So Kristen Gerlebrand and several other senators like Kamala Harris, kind of in secession, came out in unison and said he needs to go. And I think when we start having to talk about the differences between sexual assault and sexual harassment and unwanted groping, you are having the wrong conversation. You need to draw a line in the sand and say none of it is okay. None of it is acceptable. And we, as elected leaders, should absolutely be held to a higher standard, not a lower standard. And we should fundamentally be valuing women. And that is where this debate has to go. I was there and it felt like this moment where the Senate was really changing and where women were kind of bucking the Democratic leadership and saying, we're not taking this. But if you are a sexual harasser, go away. 
We, we don't want you. We don't want you as our colleague. And what followed was something like 38 Democrats. Yeah, a huge um, number. A huge number of Democrats. This is pretty remarkable that in just a span of maybe 30 minutes or so, the number of senators who have all come out at the same time. Uh, I think that these women coming out publicly in unison felt as if it was a moment that the Democratic Party could not ignore. Hmm. There are new calls tonight from fellow Democrats asking Minnesota Democratic Senator Al Franken to resign. And as of a few minutes ago, that list now includes the top Democrat in the Senate, Senator Chuck Schumer. So by the middle of this week, there is a unified call among Democrats in the Senate that Franken should step aside immediately. What does that tell you, Yamish, about where the Democrats are and what their strategy is for dealing with this kind of issue? The Democrats have essentially said that they're going to be the purest party. They're going to be the party that says if you are accused of sexual allegations and they seem to be pretty credible, and I would say even if you do completely deny them and say that you didn't do this, if especially if the women in the party think that you just need to go, I think you're going to have to go. What is the political theory among the Democrats about why it's a wise strategy to be the party of purists who have no patience and no tolerance for someone who's accused of sexual harassment. There are two things going on. One, Democrats see themselves as being championed for women in equal rights and justice. That's what all of their candidates run on. It's what the Democratic Party brand is supposed to be. So I think that they see themselves as wanting to be on higher ground than Republicans. I think the second thing is that Democrats are making this calculation that in 2018, when they have to deal with a Roy Moore or other candidates on the Republican side that deal with this, that they can say we've cleaned shop and that someone like Roy Moore isn't welcome here. Well, look, the people of Alabama are going to decide a week from Tuesday who they want to send to the Senate. It's uh, really up to them. It's been a pretty robust campaign with a lot of people weighing in. The president and I, of course, supported somebody uh, different uh, earlier in the process. But the, in the end, the voters of Alabama will make their choice. So this Democratic strategy seems, as you're indicating, to be in direct contrast to the strategy that Republicans are relying on in dealing with allegations against Senate candidate Roy Moore in Alabama. Yeah, I think Republicans have made the calculation that because possibly the president was able to get elected with his own allegations hanging hmm. over him, that their voters might be more willing to put people in office that have these allegations. Because when Roy Moore comes to the Senate and someone tries to expel him, it's going to feel undemocratic because Alabama voters had weeks and weeks and weeks to decide whether or not this is who they wanted to send to the U.S. Senate. And if they elect him, it's going to sound like, well, how dare Mitch McConnell overrule the people of the whole state? President uh, Trump is now taking a stand in the Alabama Senate race, uh, tweeting his full endorsement for the controversial Republican candidate Roy Moore, saying, quote, Democrats' refusal to give even one vote for massive tax cuts is why we need Republican Roy Moore to win in, in Alabama. Alabama. We need his vote. On stopping crime, illegal immigration, border wall, military, pro-life, VA judges, Second Amendment, and more. So it sounds like the Republican Party is saying this is about the issues. This is about what comes before Congress. And President Trump explicitly said of Roy Moore, I'm supporting him because of where he stands on this long list of conservative issues that he cares about. 
The Republican strategy is twofold. One, if the voters, your actual constituents, back you, that we're going to back you. Hmm. Unlike Democrats who say, even if the people in Minnesota are not calling for you to resign, we're going to let you go. The other strategy is that if you are good for the party and we can talk about your conservative values, that we can say that that kind of overrules whatever moral issues you Mm -hmm. might have. And Doug Jones in Alabama, folks, don't be fooled. He'll be a vote against tax cuts. He's weak on crime, weak on borders. He's strong on raising your taxes. He's terrible for property owners. And Doug Jones is a doctrinaire liberal, which is why he's not saying anything and why the media are trying to boost him. So vote Roy Moore? I'm telling you that we want the votes in, in, the, in the Senate to get this tax, this tax bill through. What did Franken have to say about this moment on the other side of the aisle with the Republicans? What he said was, I, of all people, am aware that there is some irony in the fact that I am leaving while a man who has bragged on tape about his history of sexual assault sits in the Oval Office and a man who has repeatedly preyed on young girls' campaigns for the Senate with the, with the full support of his party. He's saying, I don't deserve this. I should essentially remain in the Senate. And we should be really focused on the fact that President Trump has been accused of being inappropriate. And we should really be focused on making sure Roy Moore doesn't come to the Senate. And we should, as Democrats, be asking ourselves, why are we essentially being purists? And why are Republicans allowing the people in their party to go on the way they are? So, Amisha, do you think that this Alabama special election on Tuesday, which we're all watching so closely will signal anything about which side is right here, the Democrats or Republicans, about what the public cares most about, moral high ground or about core issues before Congress and the candidates who stand for those issues. If Roy Moore was running in Florida... I would say that this is going to be a complete signal to what 2018 is going to be like. But he's running in Alabama, which means that there are people who really see the Democratic Party as being not Christian, that they don't have the values that a Mm -hmm. lot of the Republican voters there really care about. I think Roy Moore coming to the Senate, it signals that Republican voters can, in some ways, weather more than we thought they could weather. But I think Donald Trump's election kind of told us that. Mm -hmm. I don't think that it's going to signal the Democrats have it right or the Republicans have it right because— 2018 to me is going to be where this all falls. Mm. It's going to be who can make the argument going forward that you should do this in swing states when people are trying to win back Trump voters. So it may be that voters are as divided as the parties and how they respond to this issue, too. And, And so it might be that Democratic voters would have wanted their politicians to force Franken out of office, whereas Republican voters would not have wanted their politicians to force Roy Moore out of this race? I think so. But I think there's also this feeling among Minnesota voters from people that I've talked to, but also people that I've seen tweets from and gotten emails from. There are some Minnesota voters who feel that that Al Franken should not have been forced to resign. I think if we put Al Franken in a race with a Republican and these allegations are hanging over him, the idea that this would have somehow tanked his campaign, I'm not sure of that. Hmm. So if if voters might prefer the Republican strategy, which is let the voters decide this, not the leaders of a party, is this seemingly a risky strategy on the part of the Democrats to make this decision centrally from Washington? 
It's a risk for Democrats because they could be seen as if they're persecuting people too quickly. Mm. They're also a party of due process. So when you're a party of justice, you're a party that says that you should have your day in court. And essentially, John Conyers and Al Franken did not get their day in court, which is, of course, before the ethics committee. Neither one of them were able to actually do that. And Democrats essentially said, no, we're done with you. Hmm. Yamish, thank you. Thank you. On Thursday night, Republican Representative Trent Franks of Arizona, one of Congress's most ardent social conservatives, made the unexpected announcement that he would resign after the House Ethics Committee began an investigation into complaints that he had asked two female staff members to be a surrogate to bear his child. In a statement, Franks said the discussion came up because he and his wife, who have struggled with fertility, wanted to have a child. Due to my familiarity and experience with the process of surrogacy, he said, I clearly became insensitive as to how the discussion of such an intensely personal topic might affect others. Franks said he would step aside at the end of January rather than wait for the outcome of the ethics investigation and, quote, allow a sensationalized trial by media. He becomes the third lawmaker and the first Republican to step down this week over accusations related to sexual harassment. We'll be right back. When times became uncertain, Womply pivoted their technology platform and committed to help small businesses and self-employed workers get approved for their PPP loan. In just a few months, Womply has helped 1 million businesses across America to secure much-needed funding so they can continue to stay open and serve their communities. Womply helps small businesses thrive. Visit Womply.com to learn more. Here's what else you need to know today. On this vote, the yeas are 235, the nays are 193. Without objection, the joint resolution is passed. In quick succession on Thursday afternoon, the House, then the Senate, approved a temporary spending bill that will avoid a government shutdown this weekend and give lawmakers until December 22nd to reach an agreement on a longer-term spending package. We're all here as a very friendly, well-unified group. It's a well-knit-together group of people. And we hope that we're going to make some great progress for our country. I think that will happen. And uh, we appreciate it very much. And uh, Chuck, Nancy, would you say anything? Hours before the meeting, House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi told reporters that Democrats would not agree to a spending bill without the inclusion of certain measures. Are you backing off your stance from last month where you said we will not leave here in December without a DACA fix? No, I stand by that statement. We will not leave here without a DACA fix. And brush fires in and around Los Angeles have scorched over 100,000 acres, destroyed over 300 buildings, forced the closure of major freeways, and shuttered hundreds of schools. The Latuna blaze is now the largest fire the city has ever seen. In Ventura and Los Angeles counties, it was raised to purple in some places. That is a level that has never been used before. The fires, stoked by wind gusts of up to 80 miles per hour and a warmer than usual December, 
have reached several of the city's best-known neighborhoods, from Bel Air to Malibu. The Daily is produced by Theo Balcom, Lindsay Garrison, Rachel Quester, Annie Brown, Andy Mills, Christopher Worth, Ike Sreeskandaraja, Claire Tennisgetter, and Paige Cowett, with editing help from Larissa Anderson. Lisa Tobin is our executive producer. Samantha Hennig is our editorial director. Brad Fisher is our technical manager. Our theme music is by Jim Brunberg and Ben Landsberg of Wonderly. Special thanks to Peter Sale, Sam Dolnick, and Michaela Bouchard. That's it for The Daily. I'm Michael Barbaro. See you on Monday. You're still running your business on QuickBooks? More like quicksand. The bigger your company grows, the faster you sync with outdated software. NetSuite by Oracle is the scalable solution to run all key back office operations, no matter how big your company grows. 93% of surveyed organizations increase visibility and control since making the switch from QuickBooks to NetSuite. Right now, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program. Head to netsuite.com daily. That's special financing at netsuite.com daily. netsuite.com daily.